All right, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Glad to have you with me today from wherever you're viewing the Digital Cathedral around the country, around the world. Those of you that watch on Sunday morning and those of you that uh, watch at a later time, it's good to have you together as one family this morning. I want to get right into the Word today. <clears throat> what I want to talk about, and uh, I want to I raise you to, um, I guess what I would say is the next level of freedom, if I can. We're going we're gonna to take it up a notch this morning. Can we do that? All right, so let's begin over in Genesis chapter 12, familiar story of Abraham, calling of Abraham. And we're going to look at some things today uh, that if we can get rid of, if we can cut out of our life, I think, I think is going to make a big difference in our ability to walk and see in the spirit, which is what we're after, right? All right, so Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to pay close attention to this. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Number one, get out of your country. Number two, from your family. Number three, from your father's house. And he said, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And the promise was this, I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth, all of the families of the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now this is quite an undertaking for a man, a man 75 years old, right? God comes to this guy 75. So the first thing I want to say is you're never too old for God to use. He's, he's going to use some of you guys that have been hanging around a while. And now you finally got some ears to hear. Now, we looked at two or three things that God told Abraham that he needed to do, right? First thing he told him, he said, I want you to get out of your father's house. He said, I, I, want, you to leave, um, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your surroundings. I want you to leave everything behind and get to a land that I'm going to show you. Now, the only problem that Abraham did or the only thing that Abraham encountered that wasn't, wasn't what God told him to do is that he took Lot with him. Lot was part of the family. He was to leave Lot, his nephew, behind. But Lot went with Abraham. And the reason he couldn't leave Lot, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, is because he had a bond to Lot. He had a connection. There was a tie to his nephew, and he just, he, he just couldn't leave without him. So he gets, he leaves, and I wanted to read a little bit more out of that, that 12th chapter, because it ended up, Lot ended up being a real problem to Abram. You know, God foresaw that if he took anything with him, that it would create a dilemma. So God says, I want you to cut your ties to everything and everybody. And I want you to follow the plan that I'm laying out for you. But he didn't do it. He took Lot. And that ended up being a huge problem for Abraham. Now, there's another little dilemma that Abraham got himself into in that 12th chapter. If you come down to, to verse 10, he gets to a land. He gets settled in. But the problem in verse 10 was there was a famine in the land. Now, God had settled him there. God didn't give me any instruction to leave that land. But Abraham couldn't cut what he sensed and felt and saw going on in the land. And so he went down to Egypt to dwell there for a famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass 
when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Okay, so now Abraham's got himself another problem. The problem is this. God takes him to the land that he says he's to have. There, there arises a famine in the land, okay? That didn't change God's plan for the land that he gave Abraham. Do you, do you think God can bless you in a famine? <laughs> do you think God is moved when he sends you somewhere, when he asks you to do something and the circumstances aren't quite favorable? I, I don't think so. It's not going to change God, but he couldn't cut the tie to what he saw, what he felt, what he perceived, what he heard, the famine. So he makes an alternative plan, and it ended up getting him in a huge mess. So I, I told you this little story out of the life of Abraham, because in stepping over the line into kingdom living and moving out of soul, which is, which is the challenge that Abraham was faced right here, Two soulish occurrences arise, arose in the life of Abraham. One involved his, his nephew Lot. The other was leaving the land that God gave him. And the reason that he had a problem in both areas was, uh, was because of soulish connections and ties, cords and bonds that he couldn't break. So when we step over the line into kingdom living and we come out of soul into spirit, there is an area that I think is key and I think, the, I think the Spirit of God is addressing big time in our lives today. He's addressing it in my life, in your life. And it's this. It's the full understanding of the ties, the cords, the bonds that still hold us in check. It's, it's, these, it's these small little things that hold us back from seeing clearly in the Spirit. As, as a son and a daughter of God, you can go as far as you can see. And so what we're, we're working on, and I know that I've talked about this now probably three or four weeks in, in one fashion or another. I've hit it from several different angles. But if we're going to see clearly in the spirit that we have to rid ourselves of all the lots, right? Every tie, every bond, every cord. And sometimes when we get in, into the land that God has promised us, it may not appear to be that favorable. We can't, we can't have a soulish connection to what we see, what we hear, what we sense by our five physical senses. In the sons and the daughters of God today, what he's doing is he's breaking those bonds, those cords, those ties that stop us from seeing clearly in the spirit. So I've got three questions this morning. What are those bonds? What are those cords? What are those ties? How do they function? And number three, how do we get rid of them? How do we rid ourselves of them? Now, I'm not talking about bondages. There's a difference between a bondage and a bond. And I'd like to make a clarification just for the sake of this teaching this morning. I want to draw a distinction between uh, a bondage or, you know, which is a demonic oppression and a bond. Uh, so for the sake of what we're talking about this morning, let me just tell you what a bondage is. A bondage is something that absolutely controls you. It runs your life. Everything that you do is centered around and geared around satisfying this insatiable desire, whether it's um, drugs, pornography, um, I mean, the list could go on and on and on, of things that people are, are totally in bondage to, they're enslaved to it. It's an insatiable desire that you can't control. 
It runs your life. Everything you do, the money you make, the time you spend is all centered around this bondage. All right? I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about a bond. A bond doesn't run your life. It influences you. It's, it's much more subtle. It doesn't directly control your life, but it pulls you. It, it, it influences. It tries to manipulate you. It's, sometimes it comes up in, this, in the form of a, a false sense of responsibility, which is maybe what Abraham felt toward Lot. Maybe Abraham felt, if I leave Lot here by himself, uh, the kid's not going to know how to function. He's not going to be able to get along by himself. I need to take him along with me. That was a false sense of responsibility. Right? That's, that's a bond that Abraham could not cut. Sometimes it's, it's a feeling of being manipulated or uh, guilt from days gone by, from things that have happened in your past that still influence you and guide the decisions you make. Sometimes it's peer pressure, <clears throat> what other people think of you. Um, uh, it can be guilt trips. Somebody, somebody is, can be really good at making you feel guilty in order to control your behavior. That's, that's a bond that you have to cut. And sometimes parents are good at that. They're good at putting a guilt trip on their children. My mom was pretty good at that. My mom was good at guilt trips. My, mom, my mama would call me and say, son, you haven't come seen me in so long. I'm getting old, you know. Don't you love me anymore? And, and she'd go on and on. And I, I had to, you know, and for years growing up, she would use those kind of things, and my brother and I talk about it, to get us to do what she wanted us to do. And finally, I had to tell her, I must have been about 35 years old before I finally said, mom, I'm not packing my bags for those trips anymore. You can't put the guilt trip on me. All right. So sometimes parents do that. Sometimes children do it to parents. You know, if you really love me, you'd provide this for me. You'd give this to me. I mean, it, it can work either way. But you understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about influences, those little subtle influences that come to us to try to make, make us conform to something or to control our behavior. <clears throat> and we have to cut those. They, they are the veils in front of our face that 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we need to see with an unveiled face. I'm talking this morning about those things that inhibit us from getting a clear sight in spirit. And I want to walk you through two or three scriptural illustrations so that you can see how these bonds, these cords, these ties actually work. So let's go over to Luke chapter 14 and let's look. Let's look at one illustration there. <clears throat> We're going to look at three of them real quick this morning, uh, just so that you get the idea of what they are. Luke chapter 14, verse 15 says this. Luke chapter 14, verse 15, it says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom. Then he said to him, A certain man had a great supper and invited many. All right. This is, this, Jesus is going to tell them a little story. The story is about the Father inviting us, right, into the kingdom, inviting us into the finished work that he has for us. So he tells them a little story. He said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he, said his, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come on, everything is ready. Verse 18, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. Now, understand, they've been invited to a, a supper, a feast. They've been invited into the provision of the Father or into the kingdom, right? That's what this is about. 
But when they were invited, they begin to make excuse. One said, I've bought a piece of ground and I have to go see it. I ask that I be excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I can't come. Now, there's three excuses that are given there. Are, are those are those evil? Are they wrong? Are they sin? Is there anything wrong with going to check out a piece of property you bought? Is there, is there anything uh, wrong with going to test the oxen that you purchased to see if they are really good oxen, they can pull the plow and do the work? Is there anything wrong or sinful about uh, uh, saying you're married, you got to, you know, you just got married, you got to, you got to go home, check on, on your wife and you don't want to leave her. Is that, is that wrong? No. But the point of the parable is this. There, there were ties there that they were unwilling to cut to come into the full provision that had been provided for them. And Jesus was, was showing them it wasn't necessarily a great wrong. It wasn't necessarily a sin or an evil, but it was, but it was a veil that they refused to remove. And that it, there was something that was placed between them and what the father or what the provider of the feast was trying to give to them absolutely free of charge. So bonds, bonds I want you to see are a product of transference. It can be transferred from one person to another. It can be transferred to you from a group of people. Uh, just as we saw in this little illustration from Luke chapter 14, wasn't necessarily anything wrong with it, but it was an influence that stopped them from entering into what they could have had if they hadn't had the cord. And that was the point of the story that Jesus is, take, is telling them. You know, for a, a lot of us, transference has come through Sunday morning teaching. I know it sure did in my church tradition and growing up. I, I, there were a lot of things that were imparted to me and transferred to me that became deep-seated bonds in my life. You know, behavior, ways to behave, what to do, what not to do. Uh, and, and a lot of us that have come into the grace or the finished work message or we're, we're hopeful, you know, that everyone will be saved. We've, we have, we've had a great revelation of how big God is, how loving he is, uh, that what Jesus came to do, he came to do for everybody. But we're afraid to say anything about it to our friends. We're afraid to say it. We're afraid to come out of the closet on this thing because of the bonds and the cords that have been placed on us, that have been transferred to us through teaching, through peer pressure, through uh, influences, um, because of the fact we don't want to disappoint anybody, we don't want to appear less in their sight than what they see us. And so these bonds have been created that want to suffocate us, that want to hold us back, and we're, we're feeling frustrated because we want to come out, we want, we want to talk about the good news we've discovered, and yet there's something that holds us back. And we're a little bit like the, the story that Jesus tells in, in Luke chapter 14. We make excuses why we can't enter into publicly everything that we have found because, you know, we have this problem and that problem and this is going to happen to us if we do. And so those are some of the little, little ties to lot that we need to break. 
Those, those, are, those are soulish connections. They're not, bond, they're not bondages. They're not evil. But they're, they're, they're blinding your spiritual perception and your spiritual sight. Let's look, let's look at another one. We're going to stay right in Luke for all these. Let's back up to uh, Luke chapter 9. And let me show you another one. Luke chapter 9, verse Verse 59. Let's read down through verse 62. Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me. Follow me. Here's the invitation. Here's the open door. All right. Come follow me. And the man said, let me first go and bury my father. So there's an excuse, there's a tie, there's a connection, there's a core. Isn't it amazing that even after people have passed away, that they can still control your life? This man still felt, felt a connection that he couldn't break with the father that had passed away. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who were at my home. Uh, so here's a guy that Jesus is telling another story. He's saying, look, come follow me. And the guy says, I got all these connections at home. I, I can't just drop everything and follow you. Well, isn't that what the, what the disciples did? That there are some that Jesus did issue a call to, and they dropped their fishing nets. They left everything right in its place, and they went and followed Jesus. They didn't have the ties or the bonds, or the cords that Jesus is pointing out in this, this story. So Jesus said to him in verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. So Jesus is saying when the call comes, when the revelation hits, you need to go with it. You need to follow it and you need not to have these connections that are going to impede the spiritual perception and sensitivity that has now arisen on you. Now, at first glance, when Jesus told this guy, man, you, you know, let the dead bury the dead, it seemed kind of harsh. It, it's it's kind of cold. I mean, but Jesus is saying, look, we need to cut the cords, the ties, and the bonds. And it's on a very personal level. And sometimes it, it's tough. It's not easy to do. Because they're deeply seated. But this is the work of the cross that is going on in, in our life right now as sons and daughters as we, as we start to manifest who we actually are and come into that realm of, of authentic identity. Now let me, let me give you one more. Back up one chapter, Luke chapter uh, 8. Because Jesus was willing to do the things that he'd already taught these guys to do. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 19... Jesus is teaching. Let me give you a little background. Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, uh, some of the 12 come up to Jesus. And they say to him in verse 19, his mothers and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told to him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And I think it was last week, maybe the week before, I said that, you know, when your family shows up at church and, you know, you're the pastor, you generally, you come down, sit in the front row, you acknowledge them. I mean, you got a tie to them, right? They're family. Now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus was teaching a very important lesson there. 
Jesus is saying, even my mother and my brothers don't impede the work that I'm doing. But in fact, I have a, a, a spirit connection, not a soulish connection. I have this soulish, natural relationship with my mother and my brothers. And it wasn't that Jesus didn't love his mother. Because he made sure from the cross that his mother was provided for from the apostle John. He said, John, here's your mother. Mom, here's John. He's going to take care of you. And history says that John did take care of Mary until she died. So it wasn't that Jesus didn't care for his family, but he was saying the family does not come ahead. They're, they aren't, they aren't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bound to them. I'm not attached to them at the hip. But he's saying the real family that I have are those that I have a spirit connection with. Those that I am tied to, those that hear the word of God and they do it. Now, in all of these illustrations in, in uh, Luke 14, in Luke 9, in Luke 8, the ones that we've just come through, these are very personal, man. They are, they're tough decisions that have to be made on which direction you're actually going to go in. Has nothing to do with being saved. Has nothing to do with whether God's going to love you or, or care for you. But it has everything to do with how deep you're going into the kingdom and how much you want to see by the Spirit. Jesus taught the disciples through experience. And when the experience was either in play or it was completed, then the explanation of the experience followed. Now, what we would like to have normally when he comes and says, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave, you know, everything. I need you to come follow me. Here's, here's your assignment. And he begins to, to reveal to us, you know, what, what, what he's calling us, what he's asking us to do. Generally, we want a full explanation so that we can make a decision if the experience is going to be worth the cutting of the ties and the bonds and the process that we're going to go through. We want a full explanation. Then we decide if the experience is worth the explanation. In none of these illustrations in Luke 14, 9, or 8, did Jesus, did Jesus give full explanation. He just gave the call, the encounter, the experience. Now, when they began to follow, as the 12 did, they left their nets and followed Jesus, then it was... It was three years of, of teaching and explanation with the encounter that they had made. But it all, always comes the encounter or the experience first and then the explanation. Back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, when, when God spoke to Moses, I want you to notice this out of Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 9. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> Now, therefore, behold, uh, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, God says. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Now, God's talking to Moses out of this burning bush. He says, come now, therefore, and I'll send you to Pharaoh. All right. He gives him an assignment. He says, this is what I want you to do. And you can bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So there's the call. There's the assignment. Now, for the next chapter and a half, Moses is trying to decide whether he wants to follow the assignment or not, whether he can cut all the cords, all the ties. Forty years on the backside of the desert, tending sheep, as, as bad as that sounds right now, tends to 
for lack of a better term, institutionalize you to where that becomes a comfortable lifestyle. So he goes, he goes through a chapter and a half saying, they're not going to believe me. What's Moses going to say? I mean, what's Pharaoh going to say? He, go, he goes through all these excuses trying to de determine if the experience the father has called him to, if the encounter that he's having is, is, is worth the price that he's going to have to pay. And that's generally how we look at it. Um, but that's not, way, that's not the way the, the kingdom of God works. Every deep revelation into our lives comes after the experience. You have to be willing to walk into the experience. Then out of the experience, at some point, comes the explanation of what you're encountering. Now, the experience is always filled, fueled by love and grace because that's who he is. Then the explanation when it comes confirms the love and grace. Abraham establishing a nation, uh, that, was, that was an act of God's love and grace. All nations being blessed through him was an act of love and grace. Moses delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt, an act of love and grace. They didn't, un, they didn't have the full explanation. All they had was the call, the encounter, the experience. And that's what we have first. Then the revelation as Moses went... As Abraham went, as Paul went, as the 12 disciples went forward, then the explanation came as to what they had encountered. But the encounter, the, rev, the, encounter, uh, the experience comes first. And I'm using encounter and experience as synonyms, meaning the same thing this morning. So when I say encounter, I mean experience. Experience means encounter. They're both, both the same thing. So in, in Luke chapter 10, for example, this illustrates it really well. In Luke chapter 10, if you'll come back to Luke, I probably should have hit this one before we moved on since we were in Luke. Luke chapter 10, I want you to see how the experience always, the, he follows this pattern throughout the scripture. <clears throat> and this is what he's done with you. He has given you an encounter with the kingdom. He has brought you into the kingdom. He's brought you into grace. He's brought you into uh, uh, an encounter with his love. And you don't understand it all. And the people around you um, may not understand it. So God says to you, I want you to break those ties, those cords, cords those bonds, so that I can, fully, I can fully bring you into it and bring you an explanation as you walk it out. But you have to make the decision when you're in the encounter or living the experience as to what you'll do. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, verse 2, The harvest is great, the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send labors into the harvest. Verse 3, now here's, he's already, he's told them in verse 1, he called the 70, sends them out two by two. Now, here's the instructions. Here's the encounter, right? He's in, he's, they're going to experience this. He says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Now, I probably would have said, hold it right there. <laughs> hold the phone. You're sending me like a lamb among wolves. What, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> What, what are you doing in my life right now? I, I'm not quite understanding, Jesus, what you're getting at. He didn't explain it. He just said, I want you to go, and here's the encounter, here's the experience. You're going to be like a lamb among wolves. All right? He, now he goes on, he says, I don't want you to carry money. 
I don't want you to carry a bag. I don't want you to carry a knapsack. I don't even want you to put sandals on your feet and greet nobody along the road as you go. Specific instructions. That's the encounter. That's the experience they were going to come into. Did they have an explanation as to what was going on? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now they could have said, they could have been tied or had a cord to their, their, their present life or the, the comfort of being with Jesus. Going, well, I don't know about this, Jesus. I'm not sure, that, I'm not sure, I'm not sure the price I'm going to have to pay about this, about being a lamb among wolves and not taking any money. I don't have any security, not even putting shoes on my feet or a knapsack or a bag or nothing. I, don't, I, don't, I can't even stop it. I won't even be able to stop at McDonald's and get a Big Mac and fry on my way. And you told me not even to talk to anybody. So by not talking to anybody, I'm not even opening myself up to help from somebody that may aid me as I go along the way. This is a real experience and an encounter. And Jesus didn't explain it. Now let's, let's pick it up down in verse 19. They come back. And they said, Behold, Jesus, behold. Now he starts to give them the explanation. He said, Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Why didn't he tell them that back in verse 1? That would certainly have influenced them and encouraged them to be lambs among wolves. He didn't, he didn't tell it. He wanted them to experience it for themselves. Then it says uh, in, in verse 20, Nevertheless, they came back rejoicing. The 70 returned, it says in verse 17, and said, Lord, even the demons are subject in your name. They, what, they, what they encountered, what they experienced was beyond their wildest dreams. Even, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, I'm giving you authority over all the power of the enemy. <clears throat> but he said, look, he gives them further explanation. I says, look, don't rejoice in that the spirits are subject to you. He said, rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Or rather rejoice because now you've come, you're coming into kingdom fullness. You're coming into some maturity here. You're coming, you have now been changed. The encounter, the explanation, and now you're being changed. All right, now you're going to grow into what you have learned. First, the awakening. First, first, it, look, this is what the Great Awakening is all about. First, the Great Awakening. Then the understanding of what's going on in the awakening takes place. Now, when you're going through the experience, when you're going through the encounter, the, the start of the whole thing, it can, be, it can be very lonely and confusing because you're by yourself. Most of the time, when you have an encounter with the Lord. When the, when the Lord separates you out and says, Moses, go, go to Egypt and deliver the children. He's by himself. When he comes to Paul on the Damascus Road, an encounter, he's by himself. He comes to Abraham and says, I want you to go. I'm going to bless and make great all nations because you. he's by himself. And listen, when, when you're going through this process, it can be very lonely. It can be very confusing. And your head always says, what's going on? Why, why am I going through all this mess? 
Like the process is not, can be a, a, a difficult process. It was very difficult for Paul. And so your mind, your, your soul is always questioning. Those are the ties that you have to bust because those are the things that try to influence you and pull you back into a lesser life than what the Lord has given you encounter to experience, right? So while you're going through it, as lonely as it is by yourself, it's great opportunity to see, okay, here's, here's some places that I need to sever. So sometimes you, you'll come into, you know, like the digital cathedral on Sunday morning, you're going through stuff, you don't understand it. And the teaching, you hear, you hear the teaching. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I get it. I see what's been happening now. I've got some clarity on the situation. It's because now you've come into the encounter and now he's going to begin to explain what's happening. First, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Then the explanation, ah, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the way David worded that. <clears throat> It'd be much easier to know that you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me before I go into the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> but sometimes that encounter comes first. And then when you come out, the explanation, did you notice how I was with you? How my rod and my staff, they comforted you? Now, the next time you come into that same experience, you come into it a different person because you have explanation and what you have encountered has now changed you. And you have now matured in it. And this is a process that he brings us through. This is what's going on in the lives of people today. So the, the, the process of a great awakening is basically this, is basically fourfold. First, the experience of the encounter, which is very personal, it happens alone. Then the, then the revelation or the, the, the raising of the consciousness as to what has been going on because of the encounter. Then third of all, it changes you. You come out like a butterfly out of the cocoon. You were a caterpillar. Now you're coming out. Now you've had the encounter, the, the raising of consciousness, and it has changed you. And fourth of all, then as a result of that change, you continue to grow. You become, you grow in the change, and it's, it's an ongoing process of maturity into what you've encountered what your consciousness has been raised to, how it has changed you, and now you mature in it. And that process, that little four-step process, happens over time after time after time after time in your life. And the thing is this. You may have the encounters in more than one direction at once. You may have more than one encounter or one experience going on from several different directions in your life. But this is the path that the sons and the daughters are on. This is what we're walking out daily. This is what's bringing to you experience or encounter on a, on a, on a rapid basis because you are coming alive in spirit and you are being dead in soul. And as you die in soul, the cords, the bonds, the fetters, the ties, the weights, the false concepts, the bad teaching, they're flying off of you and they're flying off faster and faster and it's accelerating. Sons and daughters are seeing 
the bright light of day brighter and brighter and brighter. And by the, by the very nature of more light coming into your life, any darkness that remains back there in those hidden pockets, that darkness is expelled. So let me ask you a question this morning. How much light do you have? How much light do you really have? What is the potential of your light? Well, the question is, how much light did Jesus have? In John chapter 1, verse 8. In John chapter 1 and verse 8. We, we, we're going to answer that. John chapter 1 and verse 8. John the Baptist says, I am not the light, but I was sent to bear witness to the light. Jesus was the true light, which gives light to every man that comes into the world. All right. So how much, how much light potential do you have? Well, you have, you have the same light that Jesus had. Your potential is the same potential that Jesus had. You, you have the same light Jesus has. Your light comes from him. There is a Jesus light in you. Um, your light of revelation, of, 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 of consciousness, of Christhood is equal to that of Jesus. Ha. Listen to this next statement. This is going to be worth, this is worth you chewing on all week. The limit on you of the, of the light that you have, of the light you can put out, the limit on you is the limit that you place on Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 39 and 40, <clears throat> he said that the student or the disciple is never above the teacher or the master but you can be equal too. It sounds like Jesus was saying the first, same thing as John 4, 17 says, that as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus is saying you're not, you're not above him, you're not beyond him, but you can be as him. So how, how we measure him, how, 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 we, how we measure him will be the measure that we put on ourselves, on our upside. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says that when Jesus is revealed to us, when Jesus is revealed, he's not talking about second coming, he's talking about when we see him as he is, that you will be as he is or you will see him as he is and become like what you see. So the more revelation you have on how he is will in, in, in turn deepen your potential to reflect the light that he has given. So when you resist encounter... When you resist experience, when you say, I've got to go, you know, test the oxen, got to go take care of stuff at home, got to go say goodbye to everybody, got to go, you know, tend to, to the dead. What, what you're doing is you're cutting off what leads then to, to higher consciousness and revelation. And when you don't have the consciousness, you're not going to change. And when you don't change, you don't grow in maturity. You remain the caterpillar in the cocoon. You know, how, how, most of us would like that 1 John 3, 2 experience to see him as he really is. So knowing that as we see him as he is, then we are transformed into the same image that we're seeing. Most of us would like that. But here's the catch in verse 3. First John chapter two, First John chapter three, verse three, says that everyone that has this hope of seeing him as he is and becoming the same as he is purifies himself. Everyone that has this hope, hope is an expectation. It's a desire of a thing. Actually, the Greek word there is the word 
elpis. It means trust, confidence, expectation of what is. It's a sure thing. It's a done deal. Everybody that has this hope, the Keithley translation would say that, that you want it so bad you can taste it, right? It's there right in front of you. But now here's the catch. He purifies himself. Everyone that has this hope sees it as a done deal. Wants it bad enough he can taste it. He purifies himself. And the word purify is the word hagnidzo. It means that he frees himself from pollution. He frees himself from those ties, those bonds, those cords. He cuts them all. He's willing to do whatever he has to do. Paul said it like this. Paul said that Jesus has totally freed us from the law if you believe that he has. Romans 10.4. You're free from the law. Jesus has freed you totally from the law if you believe that he has. If you respond to that. Jesus cut every cord, every bond, every tie. Anything that would deny you full access to sonship on the same level that he lived in, he cut it so that you had a clear entrance in. So this is a, a time of full restoration. This is a, 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 a time of great awakening. Arising uh, within you, taking you to do new levels of awareness. And I just want to say this. Don't be shaken by anything that goes on in the world that would try to pull you back. And, and what I'm thinking specifically, I'm thinking of all, all of the political nonsense. And there's a lot of spiritual shaking going on right now. I don't know if you're aware of it or not aware of it, how much you keep on things. But don't let anything distract you or affect you, especially in the, in the area of politics or religion. Because it's going to accelerate the shaking is going to accelerate, all right? There's a, a very complex matrix evolving in the spirit right now. So don't be shocked by what is going to be exposed politically and religiously. You can see some of it beginning to, to take place and to break already. Your, your manifestation, your freedom... Your understanding of the finished work of the cross, just by you resting in it, is creating tremendous upheaval in the spirit. Religion today is all shook up. They're not knowing how to deal with this. Just by your effort and by resting, you're setting a standard that's going to bring darkness to light. Your freedom is bringing darkness to light. See, that's, what you're, that's why we've got to get ourselves so absolutely free of anything. That like Jesus said in, in John chapter 14 and verse 30, he said, Satan comes to me and finds nothing in me. Man, do you see the power in that? Jesus said, the, the enemy comes to me and there's no tie, there's no bond, there's no cord. There's nothing that he can use to influence me. There's, there's no hold that he has to try to pull me out of this tremendous encounter that the Father and I have on an ongoing basis. Understand, do you hear the freedom that that generates? You're at a place now where you can stand and look every man in the eye and say that you have nothing that you can charge me with. Because... This teaching, what I'm teaching you is how to get rid of all the judgments, the unforgiveness, all those, all those little ties that hold you back. The obligations to people. You know, I hope you, you've, you've dumped all the baggage. That's what we're talking about dumping baggage this morning. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about bondages and sin and depression. I'm talking about things that 
are affecting your spiritual eyesight. I want you to have 20-20 eyesight going into 2020, right? So if you're carrying any baggage, if you got any ties to yesterday, if there's anything that still pulls and tries to manipulate you, control you, put you on guilt trips, make you feel bad, if you have any mental anguish over mistakes that you've made, if you're, if you're feeling insecure because of the words that people have spoken to you or the actions they've taken against you, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, I want to release those. I cut them today. I cut, I sever those ties. Maybe you're at the digital cathedral today say, man, I'm good to go. I, I've done all that. Okay, well, ask the Lord to help you drop Anything that's deeper than that, because the faster we drop it, the faster we ascend. Just take some time. Take some time this week. Take 15, 20 minutes. Quiet. No radio, no television, no people, no distraction. And just say, is there anything still trying to influence my life? Because the faster we drop, the faster we ascend. It's kind of like a hot air balloon. You know, hot air balloon in, in, the, in the little thing, you, the gondola or whatever you stand in, they put water or sand in there, and then you throw it off so that the balloon can rise. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're, we're getting rid of all the junk, all the sand, all the water, so that we can begin to ascend, we can begin to arise. Because when that oneness in union with you and the Father through the Son when that flows, when that, when that is connected, when there's nothing, when there's no ties, no connections, no bonds to people, to situations, to circumstances, to businesses, to jobs, when that flows, that's where Zoe, the life of God, is released. I've talked to you a lot to this morning, but, and what I want to tell you in conclusion is this. Christ walked that path. It was his challenge, but he paved the way as us, not just for us. He forged this way as us and he left us, for, it says in Peter, he left us an example that we can follow his steps. So if you look back at your life, you're probably going to see a lot of places that you faced uh, challenges. Maybe you didn't understand what was going on. Now you've got the consciousness of it and you're, you're cutting the cord, you're cutting the bonds, you're cutting the restrictions, you're growing in this, you're maturing in this. Maybe you understood what you were going through. Maybe it wasn't clear. But when you look back, you saw the encounter, the experience. Then you begin to get the consciousness of it. You begin to get revelation about it. It changed you. You came out of the cocoon as the monarch butterfly, no longer the, the caterpillar. And now you're growing and you're maturing in it. All right. But you don't stay right there because he's going to come with another one. Another encounter, another experience. And the process goes on and on because we're being conformed to the image of the first son. All right, I think that's good enough for today. Let me just tell you, it's all good. It's all God. Don't get nervous. Don't get uptight. Stay in a relaxed, restful position. That's what grace is all about. It's effortless change as we rest in him. It's that divine influence that comes and produces the change. It's not your effort. Just spend time with him. Stay, stay close to him. Fellowship with him. You know, hobnob with him all day long in the car, in the store, wherever you're at. And just let him, let him point out to you, okay, look, you're really connected over there. You're connected to your money. You're connected to your bank account. What if I ask you for every nickel you got in that bank account? Would you be willing to give it to me? You say, well, Lord, I don't know. I need to set me. Let me set back first enough that I have enough to live on the rest of my life. Okay, what you've done is you've just strengthened the cord. 
Everything needs to be on the table. Everything needs to be on the table. When he calls, answer it. What he says, do. Very simple life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the rest of the stuff's added. It's a very easy life. You know what you do? You, you, you trust him for the results after you obey. You obey him and trust him with the results. All right, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you back next Sunday morning on the Digital Cathedral. We're going to keep going, brother. We're getting out into some good things. And our lives are changing through the power of God. God bless you. See you next Sunday morning. We thank you for being with us today on the Digital Cathedral. We trust that today's teaching helped you in your journey to the abundant life Jesus has freely given to all. If you would like to help support us in spreading the gospel of grace, you can do so by going to donkeithley.com to make your donation. We thank you for your prayers and continued monthly support and look forward to seeing you again next week at the Digital Cathedral.